In the holy name of Jesus. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching because his word possessed authority. Apparently, they were not used to this. They were not used to people meaning what they said. They had grown accustomed to rabbis who loved their own words more than those of God. And in walks Jesus, and they are astonished at his teaching because his word possessed authority. No doubt our Lord, when he walked this earth, was a, what we call a good preacher. He could hold a room. He could say well what he wanted to say with beauty and grace and power. But the astonishment that we see in the synagogue today explicitly comes from what is said and not how it is said. The word of Jesus literally was in authority. The word of Jesus today is in power in the synagogue. And it is more what he said than how he said it. And what he said is determined by his mission, by what he was sent to do, that is, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, these things are written for our learning. We are easily tempted to seek authority in things other than the word of Jesus, in things that look authoritative, things that astonish and impress people, things that make them happy, things that are, uh, have a veneer of goodness, but are not the purpose for which we were sent. It is tempting to accomplish things, all kinds of things, spiritual things, worldly things, uh, medical things, social movements, apart from the word of Christ. To run things like our families or our businesses or our institutions or even our churches by other words. It's very tempting indeed, and you look around and you can see it everywhere out there. Even in this very synagogue in our gospel for today, another word is put forth. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, trying to be very authoritative, no doubt, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us. Notice what the demon does. Now, we know, of course, because we're reading this and Luke tells us that it is a spirit of an unclean demon. But this demon poses as one of you, sort of as one of the congregation. So in the synagogue that day, when he poses his question, he speaks sort of as one of the congregation. Have you come to destroy us, us people? And this is what Satan has done from the very beginning. In his first words in Genesis chapter 3, what does he do? He poses a question. He's just asking, did God really say? And by asking that question, what he wants to do is frame what was good news and to to frame it as bad news. The truth was that God had given every tree of the garden sort of willy-nilly, for the pleasure and the sustenance of man and woman. With one small, you know, tiny temporary caveat about the tree of knowledge. But notice what the satanic question does. It reframes the word of God into something stingy. Something that God is holding out, uh, holding out from you, holding out on you. 
And the demon in the synagogue today does the same thing. Jesus has come to bring good news, we are told, but the demon wants to interpret it as an evil word. He wants to say the good news, ah, actually, that's bad news. And uh, for the congregation, uh, he intends this to kind of raise doubts in their mind. And we can, of course, see how this happens. We've probably all seen examples. One example uh, that is, seems rather prominent today is uh, Paul's words about marriage in Ephesians 5, where he says, uh, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, this is, um, many seek to take offense at these words, even though the plain words on the page are rather even-handed. Um, the world seeks to find offense. And what they do is they ask a question. They say, how can this be? You can just imagine the, the kind of Facebook posts. How often do you see things that are either something said that is good or at least something that's rather neutral, um, but someone, you know, someone adds, chimes in and says uh, something like, uh, have you come to destroy us? Can you believe this guy? Can you believe what they say over there? And these are intended to uh, take good words, or at least neutral words, and interpret them as evil. But that is exactly what our Lord resists in the synagogue today. The demon asks, have you come to destroy us? And he is trying to lead the congregation to see the salvation that Jesus offers as dangerous. And salvation, of course, is dangerous if you're a demon. Have you come to destroy us, asks the demon. And what he's doing is he's trying to, trying to add the congregation to that hour. Uh, he is trying to make them fear the word of Jesus as much as he fears the word of Jesus. And we can understand how this might work. Jesus' word, after all, does confront us. Jesus' word can actually be hard on us and hard for us to hear because Jesus' words, in a sense, are dangerous because they're dangerous to our sinful natures. The congregation is caught today between two words, Jesus' promise of good news, of salvation, but that salvation is a salvation from their sins. And the temptation, therefore, is to see this salvation as actually bad news, as taking from them the things that they want. Salvation, after all, means that you need to be saved. Salvation means that evil is not just something to be avoided out there in the world, but instead it needs to be something you are saved from, something you must be pulled out of because you're already there, something that you must be purified from. Salvation means you have sinned in thought, word, and deed by what you have done and left undone. And you cannot free yourself from that sinful condition. Notice today how it is those who have the most obvious needs who flock to Jesus. They are the ones who cannot deny their need for salvation. And so they come in droves and they bring their friends and Jesus heals them all. He graciously gives them a foretaste of the salvation that he is promising them in the synagogue. 
In the end, of course, Jesus will come back and he'll bring all of heaven with him and all will be made well. And today, Jesus gives in the gospel a token of that goodness, of that good news to the people who need it most. This kingdom does not consist in worldly health and wellness. In fact, Jesus even leaves the needy people uh, still begging for his presence in order to preach more. But we do see today how blessed it is, as Matthew puts it, uh, Matthew's gospel, how blessed it is to be poor in spirit. How blessed it is to have needs that you can't cover up or fake your way through or ignore. Our needs, our faults, our handicaps, our shortcomings are given to us to draw us nearer to Jesus. Remember, after all, what we have seen, how Jesus' word is good, but also in some sense dangerous and in some sense destructive. This is true for Jesus' hearers who are promised salvation, but are also called to repentance. But all the more, this is true of Jesus himself. Jesus leaves off healing the crowds today in the gospel, in part because the good news that he preaches is bad news for him. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom of God, and this kingdom is brought on his cross. That is where he is crowned as king because it is there in his divine suffering that the kingdom of God certainly comes. Jesus was sent to endure all things, all evil, all our evil, for the sake of our eternal good. It's true that believing the gospel is not always easy. The world, our sinful nature, and the devil himself try to get in our way. It is not easy uh, to, be, uh, to live a life that is uh, of those who are sanctified, of those who have been made holy by the word of God, to be purified, and then to be called to a life of faith. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is hardest, is most difficult for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one for whom his good news is actually bad news. And when we fix our eyes upon his cross, upon the manifestation of what the gospel means for him, we are fixing our eyes, as St. Paul reminds us today, on the very love of God. What is good news for us is bad news for Jesus. And all that St. Paul says today in his epistle about love that is patient and kind That love, of course, applies to Jesus first and last. And this is finally the source of Jesus' authority today in the synagogue, the authority of his word. His word has authority because it is a word of love. It is a self-sacrificial word that he speaks in the congregation today. It is a plan, a divine plan that puts him last in which he endures all things, all the things intended for us, all the things that we deserve. It is a plan in which he takes our evil, our sicknesses, our diseases, and all of our sins upon himself in order to preach to us 
the good news of the kingdom of God. In the holy name of Jesus, 